0: Episode 17, A Conversation with Jim Priest. Welcome to Six Degrees or Less. I'm your host, Seth McCauley. I created this podcast to specifically focus on the art of relationship. What is relationship? Well, it's a word that I made up. You see, I don't think the term networking really does justice to what it is we're talking about here. The word networking implies that there's work involved when there really shouldn't be the word networking gets associated with an event that you attend at a specific location at a specific time with a specific group of people that's not at all what we're talking about i want to focus on how we build cultivate and share meaningful professional relationships networking is a state of mind not an event it's about actively listening to others being open to sharing your story with others and actually engaging with others. This podcast is a collection of conversations with my guests to help you understand what real networking is and isn't. Thank you for joining me on this journey and for tuning in to Six Degrees or Less. Thank you for tuning in to Six Degrees or Less. This is Seth McCauley. And um, if you can't tell by the background noise, uh, we're we're doing something a little bit different today with the uh, Podcast. We are uh, we're doing a live remote, so we're uh, we're at McDonald's here in uh, in Oklahoma City, and I'm with Jim Priest today, and uh, and Jim is a uh, an interesting guy. Got a very varied and diverse background, and uh, currently doing uh, uh, executive uh, coaching, executive consulting with Strata here in Oklahoma City also an interim pastor. And so, Jim, do you want to introduce yourself to the, to the audience here? Yeah, Seth,
1: I appreciate you taking me to the finest restaurants uh, for the podcast. <laughs> Only the best. <laughs> Only the best. <laughs> yeah, uh, I tell people I'm a recovering attorney. I was a practicing trial lawyer in the field of employment law for 34 years and really enjoyed that for the most part. Uh, you know, there's a lot of conflict inherent in being a trial lawyer and That's not really my personality type, so I had to reconcile that. I knew at some point I wanted to do something different, so I ran for public office in 2010, but was unsuccessful. Ran for statewide uh, attorney general. And uh, that became kind of a pivot point for me to get into a different arena. And Mm -hmm. so I went into the nonprofit world in 2010. I worked for a small uh, group called Fighting Addiction Through Education and I was executive director there for a number of years. And then I went to a large nonprofit here in Oklahoma City called Sunbeam Family Services, and I served as their CEO for four and a half years. And then the spring of this year, uh, I started a consulting company called Sage Council, S-A-G-E Council, uh, because it just seemed to me that people needed wisdom, uh, not information. And there's a very distinct difference there, really? Yeah, Wow. So you know by, by virtue of my background in law and as a pastor and as a nonprofit leader, I've had an opportunity to make mistakes in different venues and yeah. learn from them. Yeah. And I thought other people could perhaps profit from that. So I'm also a consultant with a group called Strata Leadership. and we do executive coaching and strategic consulting and training. Awesome. Awesome. man.
0: Well, that is, uh, again, so you've got a, your background just fascinates me. And, and, and I knew when I first, uh, I first heard you speak uh, at an Oklahoma City HR event a couple of months ago. Uh, and as you were talking, everything that you were saying was just really connecting with me. And I was thinking about, um, well, I was just thinking about me, me as a leader and what I'm trying to do in my role with, with Kirby Smith. Uh, but secondarily, I thought about I thought about my podcast, and and you know one of the reasons I created this podcast was I wanted to have conversations like this. I just I'm really um, I seem to be drawn to people who um, are really good at, at networking or relationshiping, uh, like they call it. And uh, and so I I, when I created the podcast. I, I had three types of people really in mind as my key audience. One was. People who were new in their career, you know, maybe just coming out of school or, or what have you and really didn't know the first thing about networking or how to do it and, and how to uh, build effective relationships with others. Uh, two, people who were in transition, so in, in between jobs and uh, knew that they needed to get out there and network and meet other people to, to, to find new things and new opportunities and three people who just quite frankly are just really really bad at it and they know that they're bad at it and so they, they recognize I've got to do something here because um, I'm just naturally not good at connecting people and so um, when I thought of when I put this podcast together those were the three groups and so uh, you know again as, as I was listening to you speak that day uh, there in Oklahoma City I thought man this is this is a guy I need to get to know, and so I went afterwards. And I went and introduced myself and 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 said, "Hey, uh, I'm here in Oklahoma City uh, quite a bit, <laughs> so I'd love to uh, get together for coffee or breakfast." And, and so we did that a couple weeks ago, and and now here we are uh, on the podcast. And so uh, thank you for for making the time to, to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. So so I'm curious, you know, I mean, you, you you're. I mean, yeah, a renaissance man. I won't say a jack of all trades, <laughs> because I think the uh, the old analogy, right, is that you're a jack of all trades but master of none, and and uh, and I don't believe that at all. I think that you're probably a master of probably several things. So I'd say maybe a renaissance man is maybe more appropriate. But what are you? What's what's got your attention today? What's 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 kind of the big rock that you're trying to move today, or what's 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 keeping your your attention these days? Yeah,
1: I, as I look back on. Um, various aspects of my career uh, over 40 years Uh, the common denominator that i see now in retrospect that i probably didn't see as i was going through my career is the importance of people development Mm. and how that ties in with culture Uh, and it's funny i i call this thing the, the white toyota principle uh I never paid attention to white Toyotas until I bought one, and then I saw them everywhere. And it's like that about workplace culture. Uh, until I started thinking about workplace culture, I didn't see anything on the internet, I didn't see books, nothing. And then when I, once I started thinking about it, well, then I see it everywhere, Yeah, and people are really concerned about workplace culture. Yeah. I just saw a post on LinkedIn this morning that people don't leave. Um, bad in bad workplaces they leave bad supervisors
0: absolutely so i'm I'm a big believer in that
1: it's really important i tried to do that with my young lawyers uh, when i was in law practice i tried to do that through the fighting addiction through education with young people encouraging them to think about their actions uh, with drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. in terms of their impact on brain science and things like that. And then at Sunbeam Family Services we provide a host of different services across the spectrum to the poor and working poor of right. Central Oklahoma. And so, but, but at the root of it is all People. Right, right. And Southwest, I've been a fan of Southwest Airlines for years, of how they put their people first, and Herb Kelleher was big on that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember the first time I broached this with my board at Sunbeam, uh, I was talking about developing an employee first culture. Mm. And in nonprofits in particular, people focus on the people who need to be served, which is really, really important, of course. But the people who serve, those people right. need to be focused on as well. And so I was talking to my board about the importance of employee first culture, and one of my board members kind of shook his head and he said, man, you seem to be talking a lot about employees. And mm-hmm. I said, imagine that. That's right. They're the ones doing the work. So that's kind of the common theme right yeah. now in my speeches and in my consulting is people development and improving workplace culture interesting
0: you know it's it's uh i hadn't thought about this until just now um and it's you know it's in you know hr is just so interesting in, in the way that it's evolved over the years years ago when i worked for at and wireless uh this would have been i joined at and wireless in 1999 um they didn't call their hr hr it was called people development yeah yeah so that was pretty yeah at the time it's pretty progressive it was like whoa you know like look at him and uh, you know this is back I think this is even kind of before uh, HR business partner started being you know, kind of the, the, the buzzword the go-to word I, I think HR business partner is actually kind of started to be now kind of a little bit out of date right And now you get um, yeah I don't, I don't know what the, the new trend is now but um, but I remember uh, very distinctly uh, when I joined getting a uh, a banner, you know, in my in my cubicle, I think it was, or my office, my, my space, that um, said, "You know, welcome to at and Wireless People Development Team." Yeah, and so um, I like that.
1: That's a great emphasis. And I, I always tell the joke: people uh, originally called this area of any organization personnel personnel that's right but yeah. nobody could yeah, say you gotta it. go down the hall the
0: personnel to right. get a form <laughs> yeah but,
1: but nobody knew was it two N's or one N? is it mm. two L's or one L so they changed <laughs> it to for that reason to human resources which I've never been a fan of it sounds like people are resources yeah. that are kept in the stockroom you take them down off the shelf and then when you're done you're, yeah
0: you're, you, you kind of you, you use them up yeah I've, I've I'm with you. I've never really been a fan of of human resources, but it seems to be kind of the—it's
1: the ubiquitous term. Yeah. And uh, at Sunbeam, when I got there, (laughs) this is—we talked about this before—in many organizations, HR is under the CFO. Right. Because, and I think they do that because, well, those HR people deal with paychecks, so that's money and should Mm -hmm. be under the CFO but most cfos became cfos because they weren't that crazy about people they like numbers why would you put... number numbers don't talk back right right <laughs> and they, they line up and they add up that's right uh, <laughs> very clean so why would you put your people department under under the finance department so i i sucked it out of there mm-hmm. when i got to sunbeam and i created a chief level position and i called it employee relations because i wanted to emphasize the fact We want to have a relationship with you. We don't want to just use you as a resource. Right,
0: right, right. You know, and and I remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and and it stuck with me. I don't think I said anything at the time, but I I think um, I could see it. I I mean, I think that's good. I think that's closer to the truth. Uh, The challenge there is that sometimes, you know, unfortunately, employer relations gets a bad rap, you know, and it gets sometimes lumped in too much with labor relations. And so sometimes people think, Oh, like so you're you're just dealing with you know harassment complaints or, or union stuff or union avoidance and so um, so HR's kind of got a, a little bit of a little bit of a dilemma. Right. So maybe our mission now for uh, for 2020 is to come up with a a,
1: a suitable the new moniker a, a new moniker for uh, for HR. Uh, well, you mentioned the people development. Uh, I think that there, I see that trend. I'm consulting with a company right now. And their HR department is called People and Culture. Ah. And I thought, but, but I think that's good. Okay, okay. But every organization kind of has to find its own identity.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I was at Yum Brands uh, with Pizza Hut, um, I, 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 HR was called HR, but the, the role that I was in, which was a business partner role, wasn't called the business partner role. This one I really liked, it was a, um, a, a people capability partner. Hmm. Um, uh, is that right? The, uh, people, it was all about people capability, um, and so. It kind of goes uh, no, back people, to that. No, I'm sorry, people capability leader, a PCL. Okay. People capability leader. So they were, YUM uh, was, was, was great at a lot, well, is great at a lot of things, recognition probably being one of the, the, the top things. Um, but uh, I always appreciated their take on this idea of building capability. So whether it was performance reviews, whether it was operational, whether it was uh, the people-related, they were always focused on how do we build capability. Right. And so even even their annual performance review cycle wasn't an annual performance; it was a building people capability cycle. So it was all focused on kind of lifting people up and, and uh, building capability. Right. So yeah, that's
1: people development.
0: People that's development. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so how. Um, why law? I mean, I'm going to go just really way back here, way back, way back in the yes. in the time vault. Time of how, the how, mastodons. Yeah. How how
1: did you how did you how you go down that track? Yeah. Well, in in high school, I had a crisis of faith, wow. and uh, I'd been a churchgoer for years, mm-hmm. and just kind of went out of duty more than anything, and I reached the point where I thought I'm either going to punt this church thing, or I'm going to find out if it's real. Mm -hmm. And so through a series of uh, conversations I had with our youth group leader, I came to a meaningful faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, if you're serious about this, then you you should be a minister. I didn't realize you you can serve God in a variety of capacities and locations. So I started out in college thinking I'm going to go to seminary and started pre-ministerial training. And then in college was where? where? Uh, Houghton College. I grew up in upstate New York. Okay. And Houghton okay. is a small Christian college okay. south of Buffalo. Okay. So I went there uh, thinking I was just going to take pre-ministerial and then go to seminary. And mm-hmm. one of my advisors said to me, well, if you're going to go to seminary, you don't really need to take all these pre-ministerial courses. Take a broader undergrad, and then you'll get the ministerial training in seminary. Mm-hmm. I said, well, that kind of makes sense. What are you interested in? And I said, well, I love history. Okay, mm-hmm. well, let's let's make you a history major. So I became a history major. Wow. And uh, I found out that history majors are uh, most often people who are interested in law school. And so I started palling around with guys that were going to go to law school, and it awakened an old interest that I'd had in becoming a lawyer. And so my dad gave me the the profound advice. Uh, He said, Well, do what you want to do and if that's not what God wants you to do he'll get your attention he'll knock you in the back of the head thanks dad (laughs) and I knew that was true because that's how dad got my attention (laughs) so I I ended up going to law school and then practicing for 34 years during that 34 years I went back and became ordained uh, in my church and so I did some pastoring part-time in unpaid capacity while I was practicing law
0: you know, one of the things that that I wanted to talk a little bit about when when I uh, when I first met you there, uh, I think that was the what are we? Uh, this is October now. Must have been the August um, session, I Journey. think, uh, at, at the Oklahoma City HR. Um, you you talked about the work. A lot of your talk was about the work you did there at Sunbeam in, in the CEO capacity, um, and and. and um, Maybe if you could just just maybe highlight for our listeners. I mean, like you said, you, you were very you were there for in that role for four almost five years. Um, came in, you did a lot of different things and kind of changed culture and got thing. You got things focused on employees. But um, maybe if you could talk to, to us a little bit about what some of those initiatives were. I mean, I remember. Your, your presentation and you had some very specific points that you went through, but at a, at a high level, um, you know, for maybe those people out there who are in leadership capacities, like whether you are know, head of HR, HR director, CEO out there, um, who are struggling with, with trying to get traction around people-related items in the organizations, what were some of the things that you did there at SumBeam that really took hold and, and worked and really helped move the needle in terms of, of building a, a better culture.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things, that the, the title of my talk that day was Culture Begins With C. And uh, it's a play on words you know, the word culture starts with C, but building a meaningful workplace culture starts with the C-suite. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a misconception that, oh yeah, culture, that's HR's responsibility. And the CEO really doesn't Just have to give get into it to it. HR, they'll
0: take care of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and it's seen in a very um, siloed perspective. Yeah. But to, to have an effective workplace culture and a, and a people developing culture, all the C suites have to buy into it. And they have to be actively engaged in it, right. both in their own departments, in the micro, and then also in the macro throughout the whole organization. So... We talked about how do you get your your C-Suite people's attention mm-hmm. if you're HR and you want to change culture or improve it. Yep. Uh, and I told them one of the ways, don't quote Sherm Magazine to your CFO because he, he or she doesn't read Sherm Magazine and they think it's fluffy stuff. Right. You got to go with Fortune Magazine, Wall Street Journal, and there's all kinds of articles. Yeah, speak their language. That, yeah. Right. And and all kinds of articles there. And data mm-hmm. confirming that culture makes a difference in terms of the bottom line. Right. So for Sunbeam, we're not we weren't as concerned about the bottom line financially mm-hmm. what we were concerned with is effectively serving the poor and working poor. Right. And I told in in kind of a, the framework of a Herb Kelleher talk, I told my board, we've got to make sure we treat our people great so that they in turn treat the clients we serve in a great way, and we're the most effective nonprofit we can be. But ultimately, we were recognized as the best place to work five years in a row while I was at Sunbeam, and I think that's just a confirmation, thank you, it was a confirmation, it's getting some traction. Yeah. And I think I told the story, I was telling people one of the things that we have to do in this culture is we have to speak truth. Mm -hmm. even truth that might be uncomfortable to hear Mm -hmm. so in bad organizations no one holds anybody accountable in good organizations supervisors hold subordinates accountable Mm -hmm. but in great organizations everyone holds everyone accountable Mm -hmm. so if you put it in the context of an emergency department nurses who can hold their doctors accountable for unsanitary practices make a difference in the health of the patients. So I I told this at an all-hands meeting, I said, I want you guys to hold me accountable. If you see something I do that you don't think is right, or you don't understand it, or you disagree, I want you to come talk to me. And I said, I know it can be a little daunting to go to the CEO's office and call him out, but I want you to do that. Mm So the next day, a lady who had been at Sunbeam for quite a long time came in. She kind of struck this pose, you know, with arms crossed. and She said, I heard what you said, and I've heard that kind of thing before. And I just want you to know, I'll be watching. I remember that now. <laughs> and I said, game on, sister. Let's go. I said, I want, that's exactly what I want you to do. That's so, so great. She came back about six months later, and she said, okay, I've been watching. You're okay. You can stay. So that is so I got, great. I got
0: to stay. That is so great. That reminds me of. Um, uh, so I just started uh, an audio book yesterday. As a matter of fact, on my drive up, um, kind of, kind of random, but it is related. And I'm not, I'm not very far in yet, but it, it talks exactly about this principle. Uh, it's called Extreme Ownership. It's uh, two Navy Seals, two ex Navy Seals, uh, Jocko Willink who, and. Um, Leif Babin and so uh, jocko has got a big podcast that he does but uh, but they took their uh, experiences and, and lessons learned from uh, serving in Iraq for many years as uh, SEAL team commanders um, and they, they brought it back and so they've then parlayed that into a, a management consulting business and they've worked with CEOs and organizations and, and church groups, I mean all kinds of different organizations across the world relate really, to uh, but it's all about extreme ownership. It's kind of like mm-hmm. you said, it's like it's it's holding yourself to to the highest. Like, you know, when, when, when you've screwed up, when you've done something wrong, like, I've screwed this up. Yeah. And not, not, not putting the blame anywhere else, but right. you on yourself. And so well, that's and
1: that's one of the, the other things we mentioned, I really like that, Seth. It's, uh, you, you've got to own your mistakes and one of of the things that I think helps create a good workplace culture is to have certain fundamental principles that are agreed upon. So you have core values, but then you have you flesh and those need to be short and memorable, Mm -hmm. but then uh, I teased out about 17 leadership principles and put them in a little book and gave it to all new employees and all Mm -hmm. current employees, one of which was uh, mess up fess up. Mm. So if you made a mistake, don't try to hide it don't try to fix it by yourself right I think Albert Einstein said the kind of thinking that got you into the problem isn't the kind of thinking that can get you out (laughs) I had heard that one yeah but that's that's so true yeah so you need you need a different perspective usually to to fix something that's broken so that's what that's one of 17 principles that I encouraged people I said this is kind of how I roll I want you to understand the context of my decision-making I think these are good principles I Encourage you to adopt them, yeah. but we didn't say, "All right, if you don't, if you don't fess up every time you mess up, you're fired." Right, right, right. Yeah,
0: no, I, I'm, uh, I'm with. So, so I'm, I'm with you. I'm a big, uh, big believer in, in, in core values and organizations. I, I think, um, uh, I think, I think most organizations, uh, mm-hmm. most good organizations, have core values. I think where a lot of times companies, or organizations get into trouble mm-hmm. is when they they have too many of them. I you know, like they have. Wow, well, we've got ten four values, and it's like, I, I mean, like, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, a big. For some reason, I really like threes, so uh, I like things in sets of threes. Like, um, you know, in at Kirby Smith, we have four, so it's, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But I remember being in one organization, we had, I think there was eight or nine, and it was just like, oh my gosh, I can't even remember. I'm down to like number three, and I can't remember what it is. And, and each one had like several sentences behind it, so it was like. There was nothing really you could memorize, um, and so if, to me it just didn't had, it didn't carry the same, the same punch, the same weight. It just right. it just became more of a da 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 as opposed to like hey let's just keep it simple keep it brief. Right. Um, and then the other chal- the other thing I think happens is sometimes uh, they they change them too much. Well that, that didn't really work. That was you know two years ago we went with that but we need to we need to freshen them up. It's like well, wait a minute. If these are your core values, I mean, has the business really changed in 10, right. two years? Probably not. Yeah. So why, is your, why have your values changed? Your values should be your values. Right. I mean, yeah, I they just... need to
1: be bedrock. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. I agree, absolutely. I think three, that's what we had at Sunbeam. Mm-hmm. And they were short and memorable, like two words, each mm-hmm. one. And they fit on a silicon wristband. So we had those made up so people could understand Yeah. You know, oh yeah, there there it is on my wrist, uh, my core value.
0: Yeah. So I'll, I'll share. Yeah. It. So I, I
1: keep a Kirby coin with me,
0: and so we give this to every employee. And our four are one mission, one team, one plan, one goal. And um, and so everyone's got a, a coin that uh, that we hand out, and every year we do a new edition. And so uh, we that's something that we do to kind of uh, to keep it keep it alive, keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, I'm 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 with you. Kind of the less is more. I think and, um, but uh, I did have another thought there. the other thing I remember you uh, sharing with the group and I thought was really fascinating um, and I, the other thing that I think just that, uh, that just made me just, just click with you so much that day um, you shared uh, some excerpts or a highlight of a, I think it was a Forbes article that had just come out that week uh, with the group and uh, I don't think I told you this, but that very day, or maybe the day before, um, RCOO had just shared that same, same exact article with the leadership team, and it was about um, where they, they, you know, Forbes came out, and I think they talked to 100 top CEOs, and CEOs have now shifted their opinion, and, the, and, and it used to be where CEOs of public companies, our number one focus was shareholder value, and it's been that way for. Since the beginning of time, right, and now it seems to be um, creating value for employees and for the communities that they're. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but yeah.
1: is that is that am I am I remembering that right? Yeah, and that's there was a I think it was a communiqué that was publicized, and it was signed by maybe a hundred of the top CEOs, yeah. saying. Uh, it's no longer okay to say the business of business is business, right? And maximizing shareholder value is the end-all be-all. That's not that's not holistic, and we're not going to do that anymore. And they were committing themselves. And this is these are people: uh, like Zuckerberg and Bezos I think and, uh,
0: Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan right, Chase is right. one of them. Yeah. And
1: and he's had his own problems in terms yep. of uh, excess compensation, but he, they were all committing themselves we're going to be more holistic in what we see as the, as the ultimate good that we produce. It's not just bottom line profit. Right. So we're going to be environmentally sensitive, we're going to be thoughtful about our impact on the environment, we're going to be thinking about culture in the community, mm-hmm. what can we do to contribute to that, and we're going to pay attention to employee culture. Yep. so yep. it was very refreshing and it was like yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's yeah. what you should have been doing all along <laughs> yeah i think all the all of us all of us hr people were just like
0: yes <laughs> <But> yeah <laughs> eureka yes you've done it yeah, this is this is it um so so anyway I, I remember when you uh when you started going down that path during that i was like oh my god like he's like he is tapping into me i was like i i know that article because i just got it you know yesterday yeah um well, let me. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna shift focus a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, networking or or relationshiping. So, so you know, you've been in a number of different roles, different different capacities, different uh, environments, different settings. I mean, run for public office, uh, pastor, you know, attorney, leadership, CEO. What are some of the um, I mean, just kind of? This is maybe a very high level, broad question, but just in terms of. Of networking or, or, or building relationships or relationship what are some of the key things that you know in your time that you've learned what what works best for you What doesn't work best for you I know I've, I've, I've said many times on the podcast that I'm a big believer that uh, networking is not a not an event uh, I think a lot of people think of networking as I'm gonna go to a happy hour from five to seven I'm gonna bring a stack of business cards and I'm gonna meet these people and I'm gonna check the box and I'm gonna you know and I'm done and uh, and i'm just I, I can i don't think that's i think thats you know uh, nothing is further from the truth uh to me networking can happen anytime anywhere any place and you just got to be open to it right um but maybe what's your what's your perspective or views on um on that take or, or over the course of your career how have you how have you maybe built or created some of the best networking relationships?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I think when I started out, I wanted to be good at it, and, and my personality bent is more naturally people-oriented. Mm-hmm. Some people, if they're introverted, they may not feel comfortable with the idea of networking and relationshiping. They'd yep. rather, you know, they'd rather just stay at home and do their work. They'd re- rather rearrange their sock drawer at home than right. go to a happy hour and have to mingle with people. But my people at my law firm used to make fun of me because if I go to an, uh, a dinner event. I couldn't stay seated at my own table. Right. I, w- I was up and working the room, and I, I didn't do it because, oh, well, I've got to make contacts here to enhance my law business. I just like people, yeah. and, and so I, I just circulated. But you don't, it, it's not driven by that. Mm-hmm. To be a really good relationship, mm-hmm. here, here's kind of the bottom line. Okay. You have to be more interested than interesting. So, if your focus is on other people mm-hmm. and what what are they about, what are they interested in, you 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 do a great job of this just in the time that we've known each other. Thank you. You're other you're other oriented, mm-hmm. and if I go to a you know an event or a seminar and you know I want to find some people to drum up some business for my law firm or get some people to my church or whatever, that's the wrong orientation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like going to a car dealership. And we've all had this experience where you're being sold by the salesman. You don't want to be sold. Right. You want to go in and have the salesman say, what are you looking for? You know, how do you, how often do you drive? And what kinds of things do you need it for? And look, tell me what you're most interested in. And, and rather than steering you to the Porsche 911, yeah. he says, okay, well, we've got this great minivan over here. Right. I'm not going to make as much commission on it, but this is what you need. Yeah.
0: Instead of you walking in the door and saying, "Sir, I think you would look fantastic in this brand new Escalade right here." Right. What is it going to take to get you in that today? Right. Yeah. Okay, that's. Yeah.
1: yeah. And nobody yeah. wants to be sold. No, no. So here's here's a really interesting story I thought about relationshipping. It's illustrated by an interview with a young woman who had the good fortune to date two british prime ministers men who had served as as prime wow. minister on back-to-back nights and this was back in the late eighteen hundreds uh, i think it was eighteen hundred benjamin disraeli okay. and william gladstone okay. they were from opposing political parties and so one was prime minister and then the other would be the minority leader and then they would switch out and And they were both great leaders, different Mm -hmm. personalities, Sure. and so uh, the interviewer said to the woman, I understand, ma'am, that you dated both of our prime ministers on successive nights. What was it like when you dated Mr. Disraeli? And she said, oh, when I was with Mr. Disraeli, I thought he was the most fascinating man in the world. Oh, well, what did you think when you dated Mr. Gladstone? She said, when I was with Mr. Gladstone, I thought I was the most fascinating person in the world. And I thought, wow. I bet Gladstone got a second date. <laughs>
0: and so. That is very, very it, insightful. Yeah.
1: We've all been at events where, you know, you're talking to somebody, mm-hmm. and they're not really looking at you. They're looking over your shoulder. Oh, yeah. Who am I going to talk to next? Who's the next person? Who's the yeah. next person? And yeah. you're just, a, like you said, you're a box that's being checked. The box be in check, yeah. So when I go to events, I try to stay very modest Mm -hmm. in my goals and Mm -hmm. expectations. Mm -hmm. And I may spend a disproportionate time talking to one person. Mm -hmm. uh, And and I try to do it in a way where I'm not using them. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to sell them a car. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, how could I be of service to you? And to be sincere about that. And that will reap quadruple benefits to any other Efforts you make at any kind of networking. Is so
0: true, because you never know. Um, it could happen. You know, it, it could, it could, it could pay you back uh, rewards the next day, or it could be 15 years down the line. You yep. never know. You yep. never know. It may never. You may. You, you may never get anything out of it, and that's okay. I think. Uh, I think your point is, and I, I agree with you, is that you just have to go into it uh, instead of what can you do for me what can I do for you yeah. but expect nothing in return right as my friend Bruce Waller would say it's the the 100 0 the 100 0 rule give 100 percent but expect zero
1: yeah that's a great yeah. great illustration I had a case one time years ago I was a relatively young lawyer and there were multiple parties and there was one party represented by a extremely a brand new lawyer And he was kind of goofy and acted kind of goofy, and everybody just marginalized him. Nobody paid attention to him. Right. And I I felt a little sorry for him, but I I thought, this is a guy who needs a friend, Mm -hmm. and he's a person of value, and so I would spend time during breaks talking to him. Mm -hmm. I had no expectation he could ever do anything for me. Right. I was just trying to befriend him and kind of, you know, develop him a little bit. Right. And... uh, He went on to become the general counsel of an important organization. And that guy, years later, decades later, did me favors that I could not have expected because he remembered I was kind to him when he was a goofy young lawyer that nobody would
0: pay attention to. That's amazing. It's amazing. It matters. Yeah. It matters. If you you could go back now and you could... Talk with the young Jim Priest. What would you? What advice would you give him? And what would you? What would you steer him away from, or what would you say? Hey, you need to do this, or, or you know, uh, or maybe even that that young person that's out there just getting started. If you had some sage, no pun intended, some yeah. sage wisdom uh, or
1: advice for them, what would you say? You know, I'm preaching this Sunday on in uh, the first in the series on what's called sacred romance with God. What would it be like to have a deep, rich, loving relationship with God mm-hmm. and not just do things out of routine? And one of the things I'm doing in the sermon is I'm showing a film clip from the movie Meet Joe Black.
0: Oh, and it's wow. A, okay, I wasn't expecting it, that. <laughs> it's an old Brad
1: Pitt movie.
0: I was uh, expecting The Shack or something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, and, you know, I try to surprise people. And there's this scene, just it's a wonderful scene, where uh, the, the, the dad, who's a mega-millionaire, mm-hmm. is talking to his daughter about the guy that she's dating, mm-hmm. who's a hard-charging, on-the-phone-all-the-time kind of guy. And he says, uh, do you love him?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she says, well, I think he's good for me. And he's... The dad says, well, hey, don't get me wrong. I love the guy. He's hard-charging. He could take our company into the next century. Mm-hmm. But that's not love. Mm-hmm. Do you love him? And so he kind of gives her a lecture on, you, yeah. you, I want you to be deliriously happy. I want you to be whirling like a dervish. Wow. I, I don't hear any rapture in your voice when you talk about him. Mm-hmm. And so he gives this long speech, and she kind of makes fun of him. Yeah. And, and finally she says, okay, okay. Give it to me one more time, but give me the short version. <laughs> and he leans over and he says, stay open. Lightning could strike. Hmm. And then he makes this kind of funny face. Got it. And she ends up finally having this relationship with Joe Black that right. makes her euphoric. Okay. I think that's the advice I would give Jim Priest, young Jim Priest, stay open.
0: Okay. Lightning
1: wow. could strike.
0: Got it. And
1: sometimes we get so intent on our Zig Ziglar planner and, you know, I've got these goals and I'm going to accomplish this today and this this week and this this year. I'm a I'm a New Year's resolution guy. Mm -hmm. I I make a page of resolutions. (laughs) I figure if I if I only keep half of them, I'm further ahead. Yeah. But don't get so driven by accomplishments and goals, that you don't stay open to the serendipity opportunities that hmm. get presented to us. And sometimes God brings people across our paths yep. that are disguised, uh, <clears throat> that they don't look like great opportunities for business, but they could be.
0: That is um, that's a good piece of advice, uh, especially for myself, who is a, I'm very much a... Um, I'm a to-do list guy, yeah. and I'm, in fact, if I've done something that's not on my to-do list, I'll go back and put it on my to-do list just so I can check it off. That's <laughs> I do. how maniacal I, that I am. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I know we're going we're gonna to wrap up here, but uh, I, the one thought I did that came back to me as we were talking here, but uh, when we were talking earlier about just networking and, and uh, uh, networking events, it, it brought back to mind a conversation, a podcast interview I did you know, months ago with my, my good friend, Jim Watson, and we we coined this term, collect conversations, not cards. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times people go into networking events thinking, how many business cards can I come home with? Or can I bring back to the office? And uh, her and I both agree, we said, it is much more uh, valuable to have, you know, a few meaningful conversations than a handful of business cards, right. with nothing, no substance behind them. So yeah, 100% agree. Well, let's, let's do this. Let's wrap up. Um, but uh, how, how, uh, how can listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way to, uh, to reach you if they want to connect with you?
1: Yeah, my website is uh, sage-counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, uh, dot com. Or the, in my email is jim at sage Uh I work with Strata Leadership. Like I said, I'm interim pastoring at the Mustang Church of the Nazarene in Mustang, Oklahoma. So any of those entities, if you Google me, there's probably three different ways to contact Got it. me. Got it. Um, I know
0: you're on LinkedIn, so that's another way. Right, so. right. Fantastic. Well, Jim, this has been fantastic. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for, for sitting down with me and, and doing this.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And I'm just very enthused and uh, encouraged by you launching into the podcast world uh i commend you for that and uh, it's a it's a great uh, roller coaster ride it, well
0: yeah it is I, I still most days i still don't really feel like i know what i'm doing but i'm, I'm having a blast all right. so all right thank you very much yeah. thanks again for tuning in to six degrees or less i sure hope that you enjoyed my conversation with jim priest you know, if you've got questions for me about the podcast or uh, questions about uh, networking or relationshiping, as I like to call it, I'd love to hear from you. best way to reach me is my email address, which is six degrees or less. That's the number six degrees or less at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out and connect with me and ask questions if you've got questions about the podcast and what I'm trying to do. Until next time, I hope you have a great day. Uh, I will be talking with Dirk Beveridge on the podcast next. I'm looking forward to sharing that conversation with you uh, next time. Until then, have a great day.